If you have your Bibles, the book of Mark, chapter number 8. Book of Mark, chapter 8. We want to begin reading in the 10th verse. We'll read four verses tonight and preach from this text. Mark, chapter 8, and verse number 10. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, There shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them, and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. From this text, and I don't want to preach on this thought, blinded by unbelief. Here are these men, Pharisees, Matthew's gospel add, there are Sadducees there as well. And these men are so blinded, they can't see the signs that are right before their eyes. And they ask the Lord, will you give us a sign from heaven? Well, what good would it do if you're blind, you're not going to see, if you've not seen previous signs, you're not going to see current signs. Now, there's a time in our lives that as we were growing up, my little brother, I remember him making a profession of faith and felt like as he got older, God started dealing with him about really getting saved. And um, here's what happened that night. We were at church at Fletcher First Baptist. My brother was sitting in the back of the church. I was sitting in the front. And he said, Lord, if it's really you dealing with me about preaching or dealing with me about getting saved, Lord, I want you to let my daddy run a lap around this building. And if my daddy run a lap, I promise I'll make my way to the altar. That'll be my sign that you're dealing with me and that I've never truly been born again. And I watched my dad. They have these big chairs back there behind the, the pulpit. And my dad was just sitting there. And a lot of times he'd cross his legs like this. And he'll sit there and somebody was testifying and the Holy Ghost was moving. And just all of a sudden, my dad jumps up with his Bible up over his head. And he takes off running across the right, runs around the building. I'd never, ever seen my dad run through the church before. And some, I've got people here tonight that he was their pastor for years. They're probably going to tell you, we've not seen him run the building either, around the building. And my brother made his way to the altar dumbfounded. He said, I am lost. And he got saved. And he told everybody that night how he had asked God for a sign, one more sign, and God gave it to him. You see, these men, they say they want a sign, but they really don't want one. Now, my brother wanted a sign, and he was really seeking one. And let me tell you something. If you're really seeking, God will dot the I's, and God will cross the T's. But these men were complete skeptics and doubters, and I want to talk about that tonight. Now, there are times in our lives that we're driving on a road, and and we see signs. I saw a bunch tonight as I was driving up here. There are warning signs. There are regulatory signs. There are informatory signs. There's directional signs, uh, which includes speed limit signs. And been a time or two I've missed a speed limit sign and got me in trouble, amen. It's easy to miss the signs. And I'm just saying tonight, don't be blind to the signs that God puts in your life. There was a, a truck driver one time. He he was looking for a sign for his exit. And as he intently looked, he missed the warning sign of a low clearance bridge. 
that was upcoming and he rammed his truck right into the facade of that bridge and now he's stuck. Nobody could get him out. Tempers flared, traffic's backed up. I'm telling you, hours passed. They brought in wrenches and pulleys and wedges, but everything failed. And a little boy walking by said to a policeman, he said, why don't you just let some of the air out of his tires and that way he can just back right out. And they said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And after another hour of trying, somebody said, why don't we give it a try? And they let so many pounds of uh, air out of all four of his tires. And when they did, he was able to get that truck back out from underneath that bridge. Amen. Sometimes we miss the signs and sometimes we miss a word of advice, a word of wise counsel to our ears and we miss it. It's easy in life to miss signs. It's easy but dangerous to overlook the obvious. There are signs that tell us which way to go. There are signs that tell us what we ought to be doing. There are signs in the spiritual arena, I believe. Amen. And ignoring signs in our life can lead us to big, big trouble. I want to say three things and I'm done. Number one, when I see this text, I see a sinful demand. Back to verse 10, a sinful demand. The scripture says, and straightway he, that's Jesus, entered into a ship. We're, we're seeing his immediate departure. He's been in the area of Decapolis. He has just fed 4,000 men, not to mention the women and the children, with just a few loaves and just a few fishes. He's done it, really, this is the second time he's done such a miracle. And he's amongst the Gentiles in the region of Decapolis. And as soon as that miracle is completed, and they took up of the fragments seven, uh, seven baskets full. When they took up those fragments, amen, look at verse 8, seven baskets full, he gets into a ship and he's ready to sail to the other side. So he has an immediate departure. What is his intentional direction? If he's leaving one place, where is he heading? Where is he going? The Bible said he's with his disciples and he came into the parts of Dalmanutha. He's crossing back across the, street, the sea to where the Jews are. Back to the area of Magdala. Back to the area of Dalmanutha and Galilee. It was in Galilee when he was last there that he faced the biggest confrontation of men he had ever faced. And they rejected him. In fact, in fact, I'm telling you, they would have done anything they could have done to have killed him at that very point in time. And what does he do? After going to the Gentiles, he sails right back into that very region. This is not a, this is not a um, trip of mercy. It is a journey of judgment. He's going right back into that crowd, and he's going to make his final appearance in Galilee. Preacher Darren, why is he going back? He's going to pronounce judgment upon them watch what's going to happen once you see in verse 11 the inevitable dilemma and the Pharisees came forth as soon as Jesus steps off the boat onto the shore in the region of Dalmanutha immediately here comes the Pharisees as if they've been watching for him as if they've been looking for him holding your place here let's go back to Mark Matthew's gospel and chapter number 16, and let's get a little bit more information about this situation. 
And we're going to go back and forth between these two passages, comparing Scripture to Scripture that we might get more insight. Hey, it's good one witness, but two witnesses is even better. Matthew 16, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting him, and tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Not only is it the Pharisees, but it's the Sadducees. You see, there's hostility. What are the Pharisees? What are the Sadducees? They're religious groups. May I say, friends, tonight it was religion that put our Savior upon the cross. It was religion that killed Jesus. Honey, I don't want religion, amen. I want a relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. I do my part, he does his part. Preacher Darren, what's your part? My part was the sinning, his part was the saving, amen. Thank God for his forgiveness. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his excellent mercy tonight. Amen. So we're going back down to Mark's gospel. Here comes the Pharisees. Matthew says the Sadducees are coming as well. These two groups, though they're both religious, they're polar opposite to each other. The Pharisees are legalistic. The Sadducees are liberal. We have these very groups in our world today. The liberal group amongst religion and the legalistic group amongst religion. In fact, the Pharisees were so legalistic, they went beyond the scriptures with their religion. They rejected all of Jesus' miracles. They attributed, listen to this, they attributed Jesus' miracles on earth to demons. They said that demons could do miracles like Jesus and they associated Jesus with demons. Now, the Sadducees, they're the ones that deny any miracles. They, they deny the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. And they say there are no angels. There is no afterlight. In fact, be honest with you, this is the way I'll describe a Sadducee to you. They're so liberal, they don't believe anything. So therefore, they believe everything. Anything goes for a Sadducee. And the one thing these two groups, legalistic and liberal, have in common is they both hate Jesus. And they've come together to oppose the works of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, they've been waiting for him. You know why? Because he went to see the, Gal the, the Gentiles across the Sea of Galilee. He's went to see the Gentiles. He's been in the region of Decapolis. Oh, they don't like Jesus. They're Jewish king. They're Jewish Messiah. They don't like him with the Gentiles. And they're very mad about that. They're going to confront him. They're going to contend with him. They're trying to lure him off into saying something bad. Now look with me in verse 11. There's impending deceit. They came forth, the scripture says, they began to question with him. Question with him. They're questioning him. Seeking of him a sign from heaven. Tempting him. Trying to get him tripped up. Trying to take him away from his purpose tonight. Now, they're asking for signs because they've missed every sign that's ever been up to this point. And this is not about people. Hear me. They're not really trying to find the truth. They're tempting him. When I mentioned my brother earlier, my brother was seeking truth. He asked for a sign seeking truth. When God dealt with me about preaching, I said, Lord, if you'll send an earthquake to 
Hendersonville, North Carolina, allow the ground to crack or let it get so dry that the ground cracks. Lord, if you'll let a, a fire take place back here in the forest, back behind us, Lord, if you'll let the wind blow so hard that the tree will fall in my yard, God, I'll know you're calling. Let me tell you something. He didn't give me any one of those things. And then the preacher got up in the pulpit and he said, Elijah was in a cave and God said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And Elijah walked out the mouth of that cave and the Bible says that fire fell from heaven but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And the wind blew and broke the rocks and a great earthquake came and the rocks began to fall and crumble and the Lord wasn't in any of them. Then the sound of a still, small voice. Honey, it wasn't a sign I needed. I just needed to listen to the voice that was speaking with me, amen. It's not a sign these men need. The Lord that's speaking to them, that's good enough right there and then, amen. Now the Bible will tell us how they've already rejected Jesus. Now we're back in Matthew 16. Let's go a little further back to chapter 12. Let's read about how they've tried to uh, hold a council against Jesus. These Pharisees and these Sadducees, these, uh, these members of the religious elite, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 14. Preacher Darren, there's too much scripture turning. Honey, I like Bible 101, amen? I want it, show me, study the scriptures, amen? Matthew 12, 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. They're not just looking to discredit him, they're looking to destroy him. They want to kill him. They want to find a reason for unbelief, for their unbelief in their life and justify it and put Jesus Christ to death. Hey, they're just like their forefathers many, many years before that were wandering in the wilderness speaking against Moses, speaking against God's way. And for that they wandered 40 years in the wilderness. Let me read this out of Exodus 17. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why chide you with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? Deuteronomy 6.16 You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him at Massa. Psalm 78.17 They sinned more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God and they said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they have already fixed their heart. They have set themselves. They are against Jesus. He knows it. He went to the Gentiles. They gladly received him. After he did wonderful works there, he comes back across the sea to this very crowd and he's going to hear their, he's going to hear their words and face their contention. Watch what he does. Now go back with you in Mark's gospel. Watch what he does in Mark chapter 8 and verse number 12. Look what he does. He sighed deeply in his spirit. Why? And saith, why doth this generation seek after a sign? May I say this tonight? In my opinion, it's not worth much, but I'm just going to, I don't like to give you my opinion for the pulpit, but I believe Jesus has given them thousands and thousands of signs up to this point. Think about how many people was healed of sickness. 
Think about how many people have gotten saved. Amen. I'm talking about sign after sign after sign. Jesus turned nobody away. He raised dead people back to life. He broke up every good funeral that he ever went to, honey. He's always performing miracles, doing great works. You may sit here tonight, Bethel, and say, well, my life seems pretty mundane and there's nothing really happening. Honey, Jesus was doing miracles in your life today. He's got you here safely. Your family's okay. The devil's tried to kill you. You're not even aware of it. And God's been good to you. But if you're not careful, you'll be so blind, you'll miss the signs. You'll miss how good he's been to you just today. In fact, listen to this. My Bible says in John 21, 25, there are also many other things which Jesus did which if they should be written every one, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. That is the many wonderful works and the signs that our Savior has done in our lives. I'm telling you, just the other night, I was just looking back about some of the things God has done here at Bethel. And I'm, I've been absolutely amazed. You may look tonight you may say, well, we don't have the hugest crowd, preacher. But let me tell you something. We may not have the hugest crowd, but we got the hugest God. He's been good in my life, amen. I'm telling you, there's been things that I didn't think that he could rescue me from. Honey, when he saved me, he started a great work, and he's not going to fail me now. If you're going through something tonight, just hang on, amen. Jesus is up to the challenge and he's going to bring you safely through. Amen. Here's the thing. For these Pharisees and these Sadducees, all these works that Jesus has done, it's not enough. And for the religious crowd, it's never enough. No matter what he does, it's not enough. No matter if he, heals, if he raises Lazarus back to life, or Jairus' daughter, or the widow at Nain's son, if he raises them back to life, it's not enough. If he cures the leper and the blind man, the deaf man and the crippled man, hey, it's not enough. Why? Because they'll never be satisfied with Jesus. None of that is ever going to be enough for them. You know why? Here's why. Because for them, they believe that the works he was doing were works on earth, and that's what demons could do. Look what they said. We want a sign from heaven. Look. Look at verse 11. We want a sign from heaven that you're really God. That's what they said. We want a sign from heaven. Now, I was just reading earlier. We're going back to Matthew 12. Let's go there. Matthew 12. This is interesting. Matthew 12. I never caught this until I was in my study today. Matthew 12. When we were in Matthew 12, read about how they held a council against him, how they might destroy him. Look with him in verse 38. Matthew 12, 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. And he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after sign. There shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There we see the Pharisees asking for a sign. Matthew 12. Did you see that? Two people said, I saw it, preacher Darren. You got your Bible, bless God, open it to the book of Matthew chapter 12 and look with me what the scripture says. Did you see it? 
They asked for a sign. He said, no sign will be given except for the prophet Jonah. Fast forward to chapter 16 in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16 is the parallel passage to what we're preaching in Mark. Verse 1, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, tempting him, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Do you see that? Matthew 12, they wanted a sign. Jesus said no sign will be given. Matthew 16, they want a sign. Now it's from heaven. Do you see the difference? I'm pretty sure 16 comes after 12. I taught math a little while, amen. I'm sure it's not changed since earlier today, man. I just want to say that they're asking a sign from heaven now because they said, we don't want a demon sign. We want a sign from God. In other words, raising the dead is a sign from the earth. Not good enough. Healing the sick, the broken, and the depraved, and the destitute, not good enough. Not, it'll never be good enough. We want a sign from heaven. You give us a sign from heaven, and then it'll suffice us. Well, I thought about how Joshua prayed for the sun and the moon to stand still till he could discomfit the enemy, and God heard his prayer and stopped time and eternity right on the button, amen, until Joshua could win a great battle. And did you know that scientists today, tracking back through time, have found out a day, almost a whole day that's missing. And then, where's the rest of the day? Remember Hezekiah? Hezekiah prayed, said, God, if you'll turn back time, just so many degrees, and there's the rest of your day that's missing. Science today proves that very fact out. There's a sign from heaven. What about Samuel? He was praying, and God answered by thunder. There's a sign from heaven. Elijah prayed, said, God, would you not let it rain for three and a half years? And whoop, the grit completely dried up. The heavens were brass. And after three and a half years, the man of God prayed again, and God sent an abundance of rain upon him. There's a pretty good sign from heaven, amen. Elijah prayed again, and fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. The book of Joel, God said, I will show signs and wonders in the heavens. So don't tell me there's not signs in the heavens. Don't tell me there's not signs on earth. It's just that you're blind to thousands and millions of signs and you want another. He's not going to give another one. You're blind. If you missed it, you're lost. You're unsaved. You don't want to know truth. He said, I'm not going to give you another one except for the fact that Jonah, as Jonah was in the heart of the earth, in the whale's belly for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. It's the only sign they're going to get, amen. What about that? So we're going to go back now to Mark chapter 8. I want to say this. I'm going to move off this point. The French philosopher, Voltaire, you remember him? He said in 50 years, the word of God will be obsolete you won't find it anymore. Within 50 years, Voltaire was dead and gone, and the Geneva Publishing Company came in and bought his house and started printing Bibles on his own printing press. The Word of God outlived Voltaire, amen. Here's what Voltaire said. Even if a miracle 
shall be wrought. I had rather mistrust my sense than to admit a miracle. Did you see that? Did you hear that? I'll never admit a miracle. There he is. He's blinded by his unbelief. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Now, we're in verse 12. Listen to his sorrowful declaration. He sighed deeply. That is inward distress. The word in the Greek is anastenzo. It is literally a deep sorrow, a deep sigh from the cavity or the bottom of one's chest. It is an intense groan. It literally means that their actions are grieving him. He understands the hardness of their hearts. He realizes they're blinded by their unbelief. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. Grief over the sins of others is one of the leading evidences of true grace. He was grieved. He deeply sighed at their blindness, at the hardness of their hearts because, listen, he's grieved to death. After all he's done, after all he's taught them, after all the miracles, amen, they still aren't happy. So, we see the illustration that he gave. We read it already in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12 and chapter 16. The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, right? And guess what? Jesus is going to be that sign. There's coming a time that he's going to go up Calvary's hill. He's going to lay down his life for the sins of men, and he's going to be crucified, shedding his blood that we might be saved. Joseph of Arimathea is going to beg for the body, take the body off that cross after Jesus died, said it is finished, and he gave up the ghost. Joseph of Arimathea is going to anoint that body, put that body in the tomb, roll a stone in front of the door. Pilate's going to seal it, amen. Put 16 soldiers in front of the tomb, amen. And yet, after three days and three nights, being dead, up from the grave, Jesus arose. The stone was not rolled away so we could see him. He was already out, amen. He was rolled away so we'd see he wasn't there, amen. But it's not rolled away so he could get out. He's already got out. He walked right through the linen clothes, right through the stone, right through the tomb, amen, because he's alive forevermore. He's alive. Praise God for that. Now, the Bible, we're going to go back to Matthew. Go back to Matthew chapter 16. The Bible's very clear here. This is something my grandma talked to me about. Matthew chapter 16. He said in verse 2, He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you will say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the signs of the times? What about that? This religious crowd turns out they're better meteorologists than they are theologians. We got a lot of that in the church. You tell people to go witness and they'll talk about the weather. Amen? We're supposed to tell them about Jesus. But the talk we want to talk about is the weather. Grandma taught me red clouds at night, sailor's delight. Red clouds in the morning, sailor's warning. Jesus just said, you can discern the sky, but look around, you cannot discern the times. So 
Christian friend, may I ask you tonight to open your eyes and look around and what do you see? Do you see the signs of the times before your very eyes? This is the last days. Perilous times will come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. We will be unholy, incontinent, unthankful. I've never seen a bunch nowadays as unthankful as I've ever seen that what we live in today. Men just feel like they're entitled. They're not thankful for anything. Unbelievable. The day and age in which we now live. Even Nicodemus knew that the signs were from God. Back to Mark's gospel and we're getting ready to close. This is what he said in verse 12. He said, there shall no sign be given unto you unto this generation. Mm, no sign. He said, you know what? The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, and you're not even going to see that because you're so blind. You guys are just like your fathers in the wilderness. You refuse truth, and your fathers in the wilderness are dead. For 40 years, that entire generation that said no to God, 20 years old and up, Every one of them died out except Joshua and Caleb. Oh, preacher, what about Moses? He didn't make it either into the promised land because he didn't believe God. And when he should have spoke to the rock, he struck the rock. And for that, God would not allow him to go in. Fourthly, and I'm, thirdly, and I'm done. Look with me in verse 13. See the solemn departure. And he left them. Man, I looked this word up. He left them. You know what that means? That means that deliberately he turned his back. You ever had somebody you was talking to and they turned your back, turned their back? I had a referee one time. I was ref coaching basketball game. And I was trying to talk to him. He turned his back. I ended up getting a technical because I didn't like the fact he dissed me and he turned his back while I was trying to talk to him. Jesus will never turn his back on you if you're seeking truth. But if you've refused truth, and you're tempting him. He deliberately turned his back upon them and left them. Preacher, and I don't like the fact that he left them. Well, get ready, friend, because there's coming a day that this unconverted crowd that's trying to oppose the Lord Jesus Christ even this day, the rapture's going to take place. The believers are going to be taken home, and the unbelievers are going to be left behind he will have turned his back deliberately turning them over to the antichrist turning them over to the chaos and the, catat the, the cat catastrophes that's going to cataclysms that's going to be upon the earth at that point in time he's turned his back this this is this is what god gave me i'm abandoning them to their choice think about what that just what god just said when lord i wrote it down Abandoned to my choice. So what is your choice? What is your choice? If God was to abandon you to your choice, what has your choice been? Richard, I'm glad to say my choice is Jesus. I'm glad tonight I'm abandoned to my choice. Amen. My choice is Jesus. Glory to God. But if tonight you're lost and you refuse truth, and you're one of these that all you want to do is argue, fuss, and fight, and find fault, and try to prove Scripture wrong, guess what? You're going to be left behind. There was a man one time, my wife, I asked her, I said, here's all of our W-2s. 
Today while I go to work, will you go and take our W-2s to the tax man? And I got home at the end of the day, and my wife was waiting on me at the door. And she handed me the taxes. She said, will you take these to that man? I said, I just asked you to take them earlier today, she said. I took them. He's crazy. I took them away from him, and I said, I'm going to give them back to my husband. Now you can take them. I said, what? She said, you deal with them yourself. I thought, he better not disrespect my wife. He better not be flirting with my wife. I got to go down there and find out what's going on. And when I got down there in my taxi, I said, hey, man. He said, oh, yeah, you're that preacher fellow. Your wife came down with your taxes. You're that guy that gets up there in the pulpit. I've seen you believes in the rapture. He said, I'll have you know, buddy, the word rapture's not in the Bible. So therefore, there's no Bible, no, no rapture. Therefore, there's the, the word trinity's not in the Bible. Therefore, there's no trinity. I looked at him. He was about grandpappy's age. Been preaching, he said, 60 years. And where I was wrong, I said, well, guess what? The word grandpa's not in the Bible either. So I guess there are no grandpas. He said, no, 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 no. You, no. You're taking that out of context. I said, let me tell you who's taking it out of context. My Bible says two will be in the field. One shall be taken and the other shall be left. He said, yeah, which one you want to be? I said, well, let me ask you a question before I answer. Which one do you want to be? He said, I want to be the one left. I said, congratulations, you will be. I don't want to be left behind. Abandoned to my choice to reject Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Those Jews, let me tell you something, what they said. When they were getting ready to crucify Jesus, the high priest said, His blood be on us and our children. Abandoned to their choice. What has happened to the Jews down through generation after generation? They've been abandoned to their choice. The Lord has turned to the Gentiles and thank God he has. I've gotten saved by the grace of God. I'm so undeserved and so unworthy but he's looked my way and I thank him. There's coming a day just like he did when he was at Decapolis. He's going to say that's the close of my ministry to the Gentiles. The church will be raptured home. He's going to turn back to the Jews. He's going to give them one last chance. And he's going to bring in judgment upon them. They're going to turn to the Antichrist. Many of them is going to believe a lie. They're going to believe the Antichrist is the Messiah. There's going to be a mark of the beast. Preacher Darren, I don't know so much about this mark of the beast. Hey, the number of men. Did you know right now there many of your cell phone channels have 666 channels on listen to me will you hear me for a second you have no idea what you're playing with tonight when it comes to the mark of the beast look at the word visa your credit card vi roman numeral six the greek letter sigma has a numerical value of six the phoenician letter a alpha has a numerical value of six in the phoenician language where we get our english from take the word computer c-o-m-p-u-t-e-r the letter C would have a numerical value. There's, that's a third A, B, C. Third letter times six, 18. Go add it all together. Six, six, six. I'm just telling you, y'all, the technology is here tonight 
to set the mark of the beast up. They tell me how many millions of dollars we're going through right now. The national debt is just doing like this. Faster than I can spin my arm around right now. The national debt going up, 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 up. And what you're not going to hear nobody talk about is how we're going to solve it. We're going to talk about how to solve it. I just want to add more to it. There's coming a day after the rapture. A man is going to step forth and say, I, I, I have a plan, plan, plan. And he's going to put everybody with a mark of the beast. And the world is going to take him in, in immediate, immediately because he comes in the name of peace when his real intent is war and bloodshed and famine. I'm telling you, Preacher Darren, you're just trying to scare me. Read the word of God. Discern the signs of the time. You're a Christian. Don't be blind to what's going on around us right now. When we see these things, these things happening, we should rejoice. We should look up and say, yes, it's the Lord is ready to come back and take us home. He's going to rapture us home, church. Amen. Going to take us out before the tribulation comes. Oh, preacher, I don't believe. I believe we're in the tribulation now. You're kidding, right? You're kidding. Do you believe in the tribulation now? Oh, honey, you have no idea how much worse it's going to be when one-fourth of the world's population dies at one cataclysm. We've not seen anything epic like that ever before. It will all happen during the, after the rapture of the church during the tribulation and the great tribulation. But I have good news. After seven years, our Lord's coming back. Amen. And he's going to defeat the Antichrist. He's going to defeat, amen, the, the false prophet. He's going to defeat all their armies. And he's going to set up a kingdom here upon this earth. Amen. For a thousand years he'll reign upon this earth. Amen. And the devil's going to be tied up in prison for a thousand years. And then he'll be set free. Preacher Darren, why will he be set free? Because all that crowd born in that thousand years will have to be saved by the blood of Jesus, by faith in Christ, just like we have faith in Christ. And the devil's going to be launching an attack against them to try to get them to turn against Jesus. The only way they be saved is to put their faith in Christ. Preacher, you got all that out of this? I'm just trying to mind the Holy Ghost. Don't be blinded tonight. Don't be blind to the signs of the times in which we now live. Amen. Father, thank you for the good word of God. Thank you for our time together tonight. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. Help us, God, that our eyes would be open to our surroundings. And for this I pray in Jesus' name, amen.